What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Classic horror blockbusters and other pulp fiction. Today, we are taking a look at Pet Cemetery, the 1989 film adaptation of the classic Stephen King novel. Featuring Herman Munster and an undead homicidal toddler, this film dares to answer the question that no one has ever asked Is dead better? Joining me on this journey to the other side is Dr. Anthony Ladon. Steve, you got an elevator pitch for Pet Cemetery? <laughs> Death. How about death is better than watching this movie? <laughs> well, let me say this. This was not a good movie. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it immensely from start to finish. Nice. All right. So this is your first time watching it? <laughs> this is my very first Pet Cemetery experience. Never read the book. Never okay. saw sequels or remakes. I, I, I knew the general concept. That was about it. Yeah, so I was... Uh... I was a fan of the book. I read the book, I think, in middle school. Okay. Um, genuinely uh, terrified me to read it. So I was was, was cautiously optimistic about uh, the film adaptation. Just because, you know, I mean, a, lot of, a lot of these film ad- adaptations are, are, are lacking. And uh, even, you know, gosh, what was this? When was this? 90, what, two? Uh, I think that the sequel was 92. This was 89. So this is 89. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is, so yeah, I probably was probably shortly after I actually read the book then. Um, yeah. And I think the, you know, it's, it's a pretty heavy concept, right? I mean, just by virtue of like your main point of the story is a a three-year-old getting run over by a truck. That's a, right. It's, it's a, it's a hard one to sort of say, Hey, you want to make a movie about this? (laughs) And, uh, yeah. and so it's such a heavy idea to get through. You, you kind of have to nail it, right? Like if you're going to try to produce this and they just don't, they just don't, <laughs> you know, they, they don't do it. The, the acting almost entirely is off the charts. Bad. My sister Zelda. I know she died. Spinal meningitis. She was in the back bedroom, like a dirty secret. My sister died in in the back bedroom, and, and that's what she was—a dirty secret. <laughs> but, oh, but oh my gosh, it's it's just delightful. <laughs> I was I was by myself laughing out loud. Every other scene, this movie had me <laughs> in tears. It's crazy. It's crazy because it's like I mean, if you think about it, like looking back and go, okay, if you're gonna make a movie like this, I mean, you can really. You can make something very horrific and terrifying without doing a whole lot of horrific and terrifying things. Just the, just like you could spend more time uh, grappling with uh, with the death of the son mm-hmm. and yeah. and, the, and sort of the spiraling that would bring a father to that fateful choice to go ahead and to do the thing that he knows is is a terrible idea. But like that, 
just you know the horror within right of that that would be <laughs> a huge moment of, of, of it could be good filmmaking right and then, and then then you're not have to deal with the monster you've you've created it's your own son like but instead it was just like look we're gonna get to that as quick as we can right <laughs> let's just dig up the boy which is by the way i i i really underestimated how challenging it would be to to dig up a body um <laughs> Like he was even like in his good pants. Uh, so. He was not in his right mind. Yeah. And medical school can prepare you for a lot, Steve, but I don't think that medical school can really prepare you for digging up a dead body. <laughs> they don't. Te- they don't teach that. Even if it's a smaller coffin, you just don't which, know. Six feet which, is a lot deeper than you think. It's a lot deeper than you think. But I mean, we already know that this coffin is real easy to knock over. Well, let me just say this. I've spent a lot of time in my life in churches and places of worship. (laughs) I mean, there's nothing that's as exciting as what happens in this church. You got got the actual Stephen King as a priest in one scene. That's pretty impressive. And then a full-on fist fight with a body flopping out of a coffin. (laughs) I told her when you were first married, you'll have all the grief you can stand and more, I said. Now look at this. I hope you rot in hell. Where were you when he was playing in the road? You stinking shit! You killer of justice! <laughs> 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 like I like when you know the at the airport and like the guy's like, yeah, I kind of lost my head there at the old uh, funeral for your your baby boy. <laughs> It's like, ah, we all kind of did. You know, like a water under the bridge. <laughs> yeah, everyone usually is grieved at a funeral. Very few people will throw a punch and <laughs> and hit a loved one standing right in front of the coffin. It's just crazy. Like, you've got the... You got the father-in-law is the one who's blaming him and throws the first blow, and then and then now they're shaming the dad. Yeah, what happened? What they're happened like, "Hey, there? man, this is your son's funeral, bro." You, and he's you like, "Yeah, I guess." Calm down. He's like, "I guess that guy it was just on punched me. me in the face." My father-in-law punched me in the face and blamed me for my son's death. First off, you know my the son that's right there that I knocked over. First off, my father-in-law. Who probably killed my wife's sister by negligence. <laughs> exactly, right. And then blamed my wife for it, made her feel guilty for the death, and then never accepted me into the family because, why? Because he's a doctor? What, what's, what's so bad about this guy? <laughs> yeah, I never, I never really got <laughs> what the problem. I mean, like, this is the blandest human. And it's like... Okay, so your your wife or your daughter married somebody who's not super good at acting, but like he's a doctor. <laughs> oh my gosh, this movie was fantastic. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Steve, I kind of feel like every cat I've ever met is basically church. Yeah, I mean here's the thing, it's like, oh no, that cat sure does seem ornery. It's like, do you know what cats do? This cat is no different. This cat is exactly ex- like, yeah, all cats have been buried in the pets. This cat right. may be just a little bit more cat than other cats, but yeah, it's I not mean, like it's a zombie cat. This is just a, your regular ticked off cat. It's an asshole, just like every other cat. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like the worst thing it does, like, oh, it scratched him. Oh, but why would it scratch me? I'm its owner. Like, bro, do you ever have a cat? 
Oh, I put a rat in the tub. Like, it's a little bit different, right? Like, the, the, I don't necessarily blame him for going like, well, I mean, what's the worst thing that would happen? Like, my son, like, he throws a fit. I mean, he's a three-year-old. How am I going to know? Right? I mean, it, the other the other story is like, oh, yeah, but then there was the guy who, you know, buried his son after the war, and he would just peel at his face for no reason and just sort of lumber around. It's like, well, okay, now that's important to know. But that's not what the cat's doing. <laughs> I could watch that actor fight that cat all day long. <laughs> I think it's, at one point during the film, it just seemed like someone was throwing a cat at his face. <laughs> well, they sure did throw the sun from the, the attic at one point. <laughs> that part was, I mean, genuinely hilarious. When they had, okay. when they, when they would all swap right. the kid, when they would swap the kid out for the doll, and like we're never gonna notice. Well, and he's being menaced by. A little zombie that's maybe 20 pounds? <laughs> you know, there was a real big struggle for a while there. Like, I don't see how this kid killed anybody. <laughs> how long it took him just to get the scalpel in his hand, yet now he's like this, this incredible killer? This is a zombie who hates peas. All right, I got. But it is crazy. I mean, the guy, the kid, just goes through like that was wild, right? Like the kid comes back and he's just like, "I have to kill everyone. I have to kill everyone." In, I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, it was like the cat was like, "I'm gonna drop a rat in your tub." This kid's like, "I'm gonna eat <laughs> Herman Munster's face off." All right, let me just break down for people who haven't seen this movie. Guy gets told by a ghost not to go in the into the woods. Mm-hmm. The very next day, his neighbor a very, says... A very cheeky ghost, by the way. Very cheeky. Yes. Pax Cow has got a lot of attitude. <laughs> a little smug. A little smug for a ghost. The very next day, his neighbor says, Hey, why don't we go bury your dead cat right in those woods over there where the ghost told you not to go? And he just decides he's going to do it. Finds out that he's burying it in a Indian burial ground. There's your second clue. Right? <laughs> right. If the head-wounded ghost didn't do it for you. <laughs> then he decides he's going to bury his dead son in that cemetery after the cat's already come back to life. And he's heard stories about, you know, uh, them burying a person there once. Yeah, that's right. And they he gets burn the house down, by the neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> and then... At the end of the movie, he decides he's going to bury his dead wife at the same place. And at that point, Steve, I'm thinking, well, why not? I mean, at this point, I feel like this guy, I got to see what happens when he buries the, the, the woman. Sure. I, I'm, not even, I'm not even thinking like, oh, this is so, This is. I don't understand this guy's motivation. He's supposed to be a doctor. Isn't he smart? None of that's going through my mind, right? Then I'm thinking, yep, go do it. Let's see what yeah, happens. Yeah. yeah. Th- th- this will be the one. It was... <laughs> I love like he had this sort of like dialogue with himself or a little monologue where like oh I'm gonna oh it, she she's closer to death right like it was it was yeah, she's right. freshly dead so that was really like he's, he's theorizing why this magic went astray yeah this is a very miracle max point he's like well right. she just died right uh, this is gonna be perfect I'm gonna bury her in the she's Indian way Way more gruesome than when when he buried the boy. It's like that. I mean, you know, I'm. I know dating in your your mm-hmm. late thirties is hard. The cat comes back. He hates the cat. 
Right. The the boy comes back. He immediately tries to kill the boy. The yeah. boy kills his neighbor and his wife. The wife comes back. It's time to French kiss her. Oh, yeah. While her face is oozing out of the eye socket. Super oozy. <laughs> yeah. She was a garbage girl kid. She would be oozy Susie. <laughs> Steve, who's this movie for? <laughs> you got me, man. <laughs> it's. I think it was for me specifically. Uh, this, yeah, this is definitely uh, like. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's Planned Parenthood. I don't know. I don't. Uh... All right, let's talk about who the book was for because I remember being in junior high and seeing kids about my age reading this book. And being horrified by the book and like talking about how horrified they were, but they wouldn't put it down. So it was almost like, I don't know why so many kids read the book. Was it marketed to kids? I I don't tell, tell me about your experience with the book. I guess I, I because I was kind of into King. um, And I think it's because like, okay, if we're talking, the book came out in 86, I probably read it in like 87, 88. So like it wasn't. It was a newish release, so it was a Stephen King book that was like, like probably one of the few books at that time that I was like aware of, like it had been released. So like a new Stephen King book is out, um, so I, so you're aware of it, right? Probably yeah. probably would like was probably on like a commercial or something, so it was already you know had my attention. There's an there's animals involved, right? You know, so maybe I thought like it's just a darker banicula, and um, <laughs> and so. So, you know, I read it and then like one thing that Stephen King does a really good job of in his in his books is like kind of really giving you glimpses into the psychology and in the minds of of these folks. And it usually has to do with like some sort of uh, some event happens and then there's a deterioration of common sense sure. and, and almost a slip into madness. Right. Like but but it's usually presented in a way where there's some sort of a, a, an event that happens that would take someone who would seem relatively normal um and causes them to spiral. So you can start to relate to this character, right? So it's it's sort of the the madness within, um, and how like we're all we're all a, a catastrophe away from from that unlocking, right? So that's kind of like that's where the fear is, right? So you have so it does a much better job of portraying this couple and specifically this doctor um, in dealing with this with this issue of you know losing a son, and so you kind of are going through that with them, and you're like. To the point where you, you know he shouldn't do it, but but Stephen King does a pretty good job of getting you to like into his mindset, so that you're like, well, like I guess I could kind of see where this is, like well, how this is happening for him. Um, right. Okay. So is the book meant for? I mean, clearly the book works for children. I don't know why. You know, I mean, I guess it was just. I don't think it was. It's it's a very uh, adult uh, themed. I mean, it's not like it's. It's not super accessible for children. I think we're just probably. Oh, that and age. I wouldn't have been allowed to watch this movie. This is R, right? right, right. I mean, it yeah. sh- as it should be. I mean, the Zelda scenes alone. Are... <laughs> yeah, the Zelda scenes are are a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> they are, yes, right. And that's it's interesting because, like in the book, I mean, it's presented that way. So one thing that's interesting about the way that this movie is set up it, it's it's faithful to the book to a sense it's faithful to the book like you know how we've um we've seen the movie Watchmen, and 
and I've read the graphic novel, and one of the things that Zack Snyder really seeks to do is to try to create something that's almost a shot-for-shot remake of the graphic novel. And it and it falls apart um, because it's a shot-for-shot remake. Like because because you can't really do that. You just you can't. It you have to take. You can still take the the spirit of uh, of a novel of of, a, of some sort of a work on paper and print and then translate it to the screen but you, you know and still manage the spirit of it without maybe necessarily trying to hit all the all the different points and so it's like, interesting that you say that because king writes the screenplay right right so are you making maybe you're lobbying for someone else yeah, who maybe has more experience with screenplay writing to write? Yeah, because I don't. I mean, I'd have to dig into some of his screenplay history, but I, it wouldn't shock me to think that somebody who spends so much time working in print would have a hard time then also writing for a different media because he wants to stay true to his work as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's like got to have this element, got to have this element. And be honest, I mean, I don't know that you need the Zelda element at all to tell the story. Um, because having, I mean, read the book, I was I was really terrified during the Zelda moments. But it's it's really you get a better glimpse into um, the wife's life and her psyche as well, which you don't mm-hmm. really do in this film. This this film is so intent on getting you the ghost of Pascal, getting you glimpses of Zelda, making sure we have horrific scenes and flashbacks, and then you know that that no individual scene. No moment gets enough attention. Yeah, and I think the that's Ellen the problem. Queen character is she's almost unwatchable, mm-hmm. and it's almost like from scene to scene, you have no clue to how to find a, like a baseline for this character. Right. I mean, we find out because she basically you know tells the story of how her sister's long painful death affected her. But, like, at one point she's, like, yelling at her husband. Then she wants to lie to her kids. And, and then she's horny for her husband. Yeah, yeah. There's no through line for this character. Right. So so that's – and that's kind of my point, right? Like, see, the only reason why the Zelda backstory works is to help us get a better glimpse into her, yeah. uh, to Mrs. Creed. But if you're not going to develop her or really make her more than anything but kind of just a plot device, then the Zelda moments are just played for horrific, uh, you know, like cheap scares. Mm-hmm. And and it doesn't move the narrative along. And so when she's visualizing Zelda in place of her son Gage, you're like, well, that's just a, it's just a creepy scene. It's not... It doesn't help you to because you don't know this character. You actually don't really care about this character a whole lot. So when all this mayhem and tragedy ensues, you're kind of like, yeah, well, I mean, everyone's kind of dumb, I guess. I mean, it's just everyone's kind of dumb. But here's what I was thinking. And it could be that the remakes have corrected this. But I do think that King is playing with this, this idea of how near death actually is. Mm-hmm. He's painting the picture where it's like you live right on the border of death all of the time, right? right? Well, the, King, the road yeah, is right in front yeah. of your house. You're gonna die. Everyone's gonna die. And he, and so the the film goes through the different ways you could die suddenly, hit by a truck. You could be die slow and painfully young. You could be right. like the the house cleaner 
who she finds out she's got terminal cancer and she just decides to end it. So you could, right. it could be suicide. So there's lots of different ways that you could go, but every single person is right on the edge of death. And so I can see that there would be a purpose for a character like Zelda to tell that story. Right? And in the novel, I think that that's where things come in handy. So I'm going to go back to your first question, like, who is this movie for? This yeah. movie's for Steve. This movie's for Stephen King. Right, of course. It is. This movie. So some of the interviews I had read with with Stephen King, like Stephen King writes about his um, his fears, right? And so one of his big fears is, is like roads like this and vehicles and and losing uh you know a child to to it like those are kind of things that are like real fears and i think one of his biggest fears is that that he's not gonna his stories aren't going to be presented the way he wants them to be presented on screen hmm. so he writes the screenplay he handpicks this director who by the way i don't i think this might have been the director's first movie she was known for uh directing music videos uh madonna's borderline um like a prayer bobby brown's rock with you I believe "Glamorous Life" by Sheila E. Um, so it's an interesting nice. that like, but but he like met with her and went with her because she was a big fan and she had like promised to stay true to his novel. And so I feel like when she writes or when she makes this movie, this movie is for not just Stephen King, but it's for people who have seen or have read the book and just want to have visuals to what they've sure. read. But yeah. a, but even at a young age, I was like, this isn't what. I, yeah, these are, these are like, like highlight reels of things that I read, but those highlights don't tell the story that impacted me. And like sure. I said, if you don't, if you don't take Mrs. Creed seriously, then you shouldn't have the Zelda sequence because the Zelda right. sequence only works to give her a backstory. And if you don't even want to give me a front story, <laughs> then I don't care about her backstory. <laughs> I think you can tell that same story with just the emphasis on Gage, you know, on, on the, the death of Gage. I mean, you, yeah. you Which, could, by you the could way, is, is autobiographical. I, I guess King was supposed to be like a professor in residence at the University of Maine, I think. They put him up in a house that was right near a road just like this. And that's when he developed this massive fear for losing his two-year-old son in a road like that. Mm -hmm. That whole scene with the kite, that actually happened with his son, but he was able to, to get the son in time. But the fear didn't leave, you know? Right, the, for sure. There's always that what if that he was always mm -hmm. ruminating on. And, of course, he's going to process it by writing a, a horror novel about it. Sure, that's how he handles all of it, right? So we have... So, so yeah, so, I mean... A lot of things like the the ghost of Victor Pascal is is like it's it's odd, right? I mean, in and in the book it works, and a lot of his books will have like specters or ghosts or something, and and sometimes it's played as hallucination, sometimes it's played as, as slipping into madness. In this case, it's played very much like it's a hey, look, this is um, it's magic, right? I mean, to a certain degree, yeah. right? Like, and and that's okay. I think you can accept that because the whole premise of this story is that there is magic beyond the pet cemetery. There's some sacred ground that is now sour that has magic to it. So why? So if you can accept that, then you should be able to accept the fact that look, there's a, a ghost warning him, right? But it's the way that the ghost is presented and how it's just sort of, it's just it's a misfire. I mean, every everything with Victor Pascal, it's like he's kind of like, is he is he funny? You know, is he is he comical? Yeah, there was a few times that he goes for he kind of plays for a laugh. 
Right. So and it and so it really undercuts a lot of the other gravity moments, like when he's in the truck and he's like, "Hey, well, this is this is where I go," and like you kind of feel like it almost makes you feel like things are going to work out, um, but then it clearly doesn't, and you're like, "Well, but is that? But why did you play it that way? Why did you? Why did you have the mm-hmm. ghost be that? It just didn't." It just didn't. That just didn't work. I mean, like I said, like the execution in this film, for the most part, I still am moved by the the scene where where the kid gets hit by the truck, and there's that you know screaming in the road or whatever. Only because I think of circumstance, not because of the way it's necessarily directed or or acted. But but again, I'm like you. It it was like you, you go to that space, so. Imagine if you would really take in your time with the before and the after so that when he goes to dig up the grave, you can kind of almost get on board with it. Like, yeah. I think that's yeah. what you want to be. You want to feel like you can empathize with his descent so that when things go awry, you're not just going like, well, don't be a dumbass. I mean, the whole thing is just like, that's just how it is. Like, you're just, you're, you're really a dummy. And <laughs> uh, I'm so happy as a dummy. I, well, I was just we gotta talk about that dummy. The dummy when the, the dummy that's the stand in for for a gauge. I mean yeah, there are very few slapsticky high comedy moments in, in film that I have to rewind over and over again, but this is one of them. <laughs> it's so funny because it's like I know that I was reading some stuff on it and they're like, Oh, there was some the director was getting some heat for for casting Fred Gwynn. It's like, oh, is that gonna undercut some of the the serious nature of the film because you know it's Herman Munster and it's like you, you see you see who else is in this movie I mean you see who these people are <laughs> I thought that the next door neighbor was one of the best parts of this film I buried him alive I'm not a vet it was dark sure it was dark but his head swiveled on his neck like it was full of ball bearings when you moved him he pulled out the frost Lewis sounded like a Piece of ticky tape coming off a letter. Live things don't do that. You only stop melting the frost on the way you're laying when you're dead. Well, I feel like I'm going crazy. Sometimes. That is better. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> man, he but goes I was rough. not thinking Herman Munster. I was thinking the judge from my, my, <laughs> from my, my cousin, cousin Vinny. Yeah, exactly. Right. It devolves into just a slasher flick, right? Um, sure. And it and it accelerates to it, like, and that's and I think that's the issue that you have is because, like, I think as as somebody who read the book, even as a young kid, I was like, well, the horror of the attacks and and the the son um, coming back murderous, like, like that's the result of the horror. Right. Not the horror itself, and to some, you know, you know what I'm saying. Like, I mean, obviously, it's no. It's a that's the thing. monkey's paw. I mean, that's right. sort of the story of the monkey's paw. It's just, the, just the idea of your zombie son knocking on the door downstairs can be a really, really horrific moment. Right. And instead, it was like, okay, well, let's just get to that. Let's get to the yeah. the killer child, and those are the scenes we're going to really focus on. And you're like, mm, I don't. I mean, at that point, it's it's just mayhem. Yeah. And and it's mayhem with mayhem without a cause, and that's the whole. I think that was the whole point of the book was like, okay, look, you know, like you create. He created a monster, but you got to get to that creation part, not just the monster. Um, 
and I, I also read that I think the original film had to be like chopped down quite a bit because that people felt it was too long. Oh, um, and they said that it was too drawn out. And I wonder how much of that might have actually been helpful. I mean, again, I may be giving right. the director and the actors too much credit, but there may have been more of an intent to try to get to those parts. And then they were sure. like, no, we just got, we got to trim this down. And I think yeah, the ending, and I, I think, think the ending she, was not as gruesome. I think the original huh. ending was she's just at the door, and and then the audience is left to sort of fill in the blanks. But then they're like, "No, let's make it really clear. Have her pick up the knife." And she wasn't we want as a like full on French kiss. Yeah, and she on. wasn't like, and I think she wasn't as oozy. Like I think she just sort of was maybe shadowed, and then there was no knife pickup. It was just. You know what's going to happen, and then of course to kick it right into the Ramones Pet Cemetery song immediately after, completely <laughs> just says, "You know what? This is this is garbage, and we know it. Let's move on." <laughs> I think that the, I think that the real payload of this movie is in, like I said, the nearness of death, but also the sense in which do parents even have do, in general, do parents have good ways to explain death to to children because i mm. think that that's always one of those things as a new parent that you're thinking is there a good way to do this how do we how do we do this without freaking our children out <laughs> how do we talk about you know the goldfish or how do we talk about the cat or something like that I, and i think that if they really focused on that part of it more of the like sort of that parental angst that sort of spurred this whole concept in the first place. Like, I'm not just afraid of death, but now that I'm a parent, I'm 10 times more afraid of death because I can't mm -hmm. stand the thought of losing my child. Right. That's where this movie, I mean, that, that's sort of where this movie hits home. Yeah. Or could have hit home if it was better. Is there one cliche uh, trope? or movie device that worked for you? I mean, I, I, I do think... It's okay the, to say no. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I, like I said, I, I still think that the kite scene is effective, and I'm not sure if there's a specific trope to it, but but that, you know, kind of that out of reach. Yeah. Um, that scene plays, even though it's like, I don't think it's directed great, it's directed well enough. I would, yeah, and I'm going to probably say now no, because I also don't think you, you like, there's so much of that scene that's like, you don't need, <laughs> you know, like, I, you don't need the shoe bouncing. Right. <laughs> the, the bloody child shoe. It's like, yeah, I got it. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll tell you what. Neighbor Judd is crawling around next to the bedside. And you know that kid's under the bed. Like, right. There's no question the kid's under the bed. Yeah, yeah. And then, so you know that you know it's coming, and then the kid comes out with the scalpel and just slices you know, the back tendon of, yeah. his, of his heel. Right. And just the way that the knife went through, I was thinking, oh, dang. Like, it just felt yeah. like, yeah, that's not a there. Thing. Don't hit, not yeah. there. That's I don't know what it is, but that, was that and that was a, and that was a pretty good effect too, especially for '89. Like that, yeah. that because feet already look fake. But the um, I, I will say now that I look back, I think the one thing that worked for me is creepy kid. Creepy kid always works. You, you know like when he's on the kid when he's on the phone. I'm gonna play with you, daddy. <laughs> but I, I will. Say, I'm not sure if creepy kid works for me. 
I always I think creepy kid is like because inherently kids are terrifying. And I think what's what I found the most interesting. I'm like because like looking back at at the flashback of the uh, the guy whose son died in the war and he came back just peeling his face or whatever it was and he's like just clear zombie like gage is better now than he was when he was a kid like well, he, he's certainly smarter That's for well sure. not only that but like um we're burying the lead on this thing guy can just he, he knows their phone number <laughs> he knows their phone number for sure yep has and, this kid uh, ever dialed the phone in his life <laughs> and he's just calling up his dad to just just taunt him I'm like, just, um, just I kind of want this kid to live. This this kid's got some chops, man. Uh, was there one tweak to this? Uh, one tweak <laughs> that you think that could have improved this movie? <laughs> uh, were there 19 <laughs> tweaks that you think yeah. could have improved this movie? Um, it's interesting because I was like uh, going back to watch it. I had forgotten how young the boy was, right? So I was like, I was very curious when the movie started. I was like, oh my gosh, how did this get pulled off? Because I didn't remember how, like, how is this kid? Because I remember the 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 killing sequences. Um, so the doll aspect mm-hmm. <laughs> that cleared up some of it. And then like when you like like the fake hand holding the scalpel coming underneath the bed, like okay, that makes more sense. And like you could see where there were edits. Their edits mm-hmm. are very careful when you see the kid, when you don't see the kid, when you just see the arm. Um, but yeah, they they told that kid to go and bite Herman Munster's neck, boy. <laughs> he didn't just bite it; he ate a bit of it. Yeah, there was, there was a fair amount of it that he, a fair amount of it that he just and chewed just right off. Ate ate his chin face off, man. It was just <laughs> weird. Um, but yeah, I mean, like in terms of tweaks, I mean, I you got to go to the drawing board. You got you got to go back and say, yeah, if you're if you're gonna do it for an hour and forty three minutes. You know what? Honestly, like I said, you either scrap the Zelda sequence, or or you got to give me more. I mean, there's plenty of things to scrap on this. This, you know, because um, even the cat, I didn't feel like there was enough of really that dynamic, right? I, mean, I want to see more fight scenes between the cat and Doctor Creed. Doctor Creed. Yeah. I <laughs> I could just watch that cat scratch that guy's face all day long. <laughs> Uh, was there a half the battle, one to grow on moment in this movie? That is better. That is better. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. But he did kind of give a little caveat. Sometimes that is better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. The pet cemetery is a good thing sometimes. If, if, if it's a cat. See, that's that's the reality. You can bury a cat up there because you can't make a cat more evil. Right. Right. I it's negligible. The difference is negligible. Absolutely, don't put a dog. I would for sure. Else. I would for sure put a goldfish and just see what happens. Yeah, yeah. You just keep that goldfish. Is he gonna walk? Is he gonna just be real mad in a bowl? I gotta if imagine. He... <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Is this movie uh, better, worse, or Oof. properly? Equal to a Ron Howard. Movie. This is a, this is a, this is the question I've been wrestling with a lot, right? And I'm going to say uh, I'm I'm going to pay Ron Howard a compliment and say this is a Howard minus nine. <laughs> oh jeez. Oh, yeah. Geez. Uh, wow. I was not going to go that low. I just enjoyed this movie. It this was one the- of those things where it was like the tone didn't shift. It was laughably bad throughout. I kind of loved the. 
just the B movie quality of it. I was really enjoying it. I'm gonna say Howard minus two. Wow, wow, yeah. that's impressive. I just feel like Howard has a safer floor as a as a film. Oh, there's no doubt. And and Howard would not Howard would not touch this movie. But if um, he did, that would be it would be an interesting watch. I actually yeah, I mean I would be more interested in a Ron Howard take on Pet Cemetery. I'm really I'll tell you one of the things that really made me excited about doing this podcast is because I know you're not really well versed in the horror genre. Right. Um and and I think this was going to be a really good example of what it's going to be like on this journey with you because <laughs> Because, like, again, like, I have a little history, right? I have history yeah. with the book. I've got history with watching the movie when it came out. I saw the theater, you know? So, um, and I really wanted to like it. So, I, that you, you know, when you're younger and you see a movie you really are excited about and, and you know it didn't settle with you very well, but you still wish it was better, so you're not quite convinced you didn't like mm-hmm. it. And that's kind of how I was with it. I'm like, no, no, it's good. And uh, I think I watched it with Heather, like, years later. Obviously, it would be years later because it would be weird to watch it with my future wife uh, outside of middle school. But um, <laughs> but she's just, you know, of course, just hates it. <laughs> just hates it. Um, and Is it because it, of her love of animals? No, it's because she uh, believes that her time is more valuable. <laughs> is it because this movie is really, really bad? Yeah, I think I think that would be what it is. I think it's the quality of the movie, <laughs> really, that has to be. All right. So while we were watching this, we were watching this separately. You were a little bit ahead of me, and you texted me and said, "For a really bad movie, this one scene always gets me every time." So what yeah. scene was that? It is the it's the kids going towards the truck. Ah, uh, yeah. Because it, I mean, it's it. There are elements of it where I think she she goes too. far far with the directing like you don't need to do more but visually like as that kid's making it towards the the road and that truck's barreling down i mean that especially as a parent like because i mean i i watched it but obviously like the first time i wasn't a parent and i was still moved but like it you i i couldn't help but somewhat be moved by that like and then seeing him scream in the road like Mm. i i think that scene could have still been done better for sure but i think it is effective enough and that's why I think the, the the problem that I have with the film overall is like spend more time on that scene, like even in silence, like have him scream without sound, you know, like there's so much more you could do to to from there get to why he might go ahead See, and, I feel and bury like the kid. That's when you bring in the Ramones. I feel like <laughs> right then, as soon as the kid gets hit by the truck, that's when you do. The Ramones' famous song "Pet Cemetery." Yeah, and, I mean, and you've got on the way there. you've got a director who knows music videos. They just show up, like they the just... truck. The truck is like it's a flatbed truck with the Ramones playing on the back of it, or the truck is on its side, and they're just like playing on the side of the truck. <laughs> and the driver's screwed. like trying to get out, but they're like standing on the driver door. <laughs> yeah. And Judd brings out the shovel. <laughs> it was the kind of film, it absolutely depends on the company. But I was laughing hard throughout the whole movie. But I tell you, it was, it's so funny when that doll just gets thrown from the attic. Because it is, he just flies at him. It's like, <laughs> it just, I mean, it just looks like someone is throwing junk from the attic at the guy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do some audience feedback, Steve. 
So these are both emails that did not come to cocoonsofhorror at gmail.com. That is still a very virginal account. These came to the Electric Boogaloo account. Um, But the first one I like a lot because it uh, relates to our last dual podcast. It's from Steve B. Do you know this, Steve? All Steves know each other, right? (laughs) Yeah, we do. Steve, now, isn't Stevie B a, wasn't he a pop singer or was he R&B? Party Your Body, Love and Emotion, Healing. um, Yeah. I'm just going to assume that this is that, Steve. Let's hope so. All right. He says, hey there, big fan of your show. I was thinking of a trial by combat that I was involved in in seventh grade. Hmm. It was definitely a street justice situation. My former best friend and his two new buddies agreed that I was gay. I asserted that I was not gay. Did they have quorum? This is all very off the books, I'm guessing. Uh, I asserted that I was not gay, but nobody on the bus believed me. So it was decided that we would have... Not even my boyfriend. (laughs) Uh, So it was decided... That we would have a trial by combat to determine whether or not I was gay. My former best friend and myself faced off in front of Building 10 that morning. By all laws of the land and all laws of the gods, I am gay. I lost that battle. My former best friend beat me that day. So there's no way I could possibly not be gay. This was my trial by combat. Wow. That's a rough way to be. <laughs> it's a rough way to come out of the closet. It is a rough way to come out, right? I think that this is where my kids have it a lot better than we did. Because I first learned what gay was uh, when I was playing the game on the playground, Smear the Queer. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Smear the Queer? Yes. And I, if I remember correctly, there was really only one rule, and that was, if you have the ball, you must be smeared. Yeah, it's it's a hor- it's a horrible it's a horrible way to learn about, about human sexuality. Right, yeah, because yeah. uh we played with tennis balls and Tony Romano had like the arm of like a major league pitcher. <laughs> yeah, so we played it a little bit differently. Uh it was called Schmear the Queer. Oh, and oh, no, uh oh, no. we and we would just we would chase people um that uh we thought were different than us uh with Philadelphia cream cheese. <laughs> This, this was the Philadelphia style. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Philadelphia iteration of the game. Yeah. All right. Well, I, you know, I don't condone that game, and I hope it has been rooted out from all playgrounds across the land. But for our friend Steve, he probably grew up about the same time we did, and that's kind of what happened back then. Or, you know, it's a well, see, version of, of what it, could happen back then. And be, and I don't know what the statute of limitations is now, but now he can actually go back and uh, call that a hate crime. Uh, this is from Peter H. Peter Horton from 30-something fame? I'm assuming that it's Peter Horton from... Actually, I know his last name, so I know it's not. Um, he says, Please let Steve know that I told my wife about his theme song lyrics, and she now sings... Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage. Every night as we rewatch Game of Thrones. This is the impact that you're having on on the world. There was a period of time where I just kind of forgot that that wasn't the lyrics. 
I'm like, oh, they're just doing the instrumental. Did Heather appreciate your... After a while, it just became that it became canon. (laughs) (laughs) That's how things work. That's actually how things work in Christian doctrine as well. (laughs) You start saying things over and over, they become hymns, and before you know it... Pretty soon we just accept the rapture as, yeah, it's probably... Yeah, it's, it's it's probably right. All right, so that's all our feedback this week, but I do have a Apple review to read. Mm. So if you are willing and able to leave us an Apple review on iTunes, we'll read it. So here's what a St. Louis Al writes. Oh, I like that. I don't even... Well, maybe. I don't know. I haven't heard the review yet. Yeah, I don't know either. Have you ever met anyone actually named Al? I knew an Alan once. I knew an Albert. And Albert, all right. Yeah. I like the name. Al is very antiquated. It seemed like, you know, Al could be like the name of my dad's dentist, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I mean, and Al is like, can be short for some, like like I said, it could be Alan, could be Albert, could be Alphonse. Alec. Alfonso. Alec. uh, Aloysius. So here's what Al writes. I'm assuming he's writing from St. Louis. I I don't know, but I'm going to... Make the assumption. Maybe he's just St. Louis style. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's got a lot of vinegar in his barbecue. (laughs) Best chemistry in podcasting. Steve and Anthony are best buds. They grew up together, and that shows in the cadence and humor of the podcast. I'll be looking forward to this podcast every week. If the podcast was a movie, it would be as good, if not better, than the best Ron Howard movie. Wow. Yeah, thank you, Al. So I thought I could ask you, Steve... We've talked a lot about Ron Howard just because of Ron Howard's usual baseline. But I wonder, he uses the phrase best Ron Howard movie. Ooh, what is the best Ron Howard movie? What is the best Ron Howard movie? Well, I mean, you could make the argument that it was Beautiful Mind because it won Best Picture. I I would entertain the argument, and then I would refuse the conclusion. Because you do not like Russell Crowe. I, I don't like Russell You like fat Russell Crowe. I don't like Russell Crowe, and I really like period piece spy movies. And I wanted mm-hmm. I wanted all duped. of his delusions to be true, and yeah. it was a big disappointment for me. Um, so if I'm going to try to figure out what I can so is I'm assuming this question is like, what do I consider the best? No, we want to know Howard. what's the best. We're gonna oh, what is the we're best? We're going to litigate the best. I'm going to say, here's my... Young Ho. <laughs> Here's my because it holds up. There's no issue with any of the cultural references. Nope. Uh, to in this day, nah, no, it, it holds up perfectly. Um, I'm a big fan of Parenthood, mm-hmm. and it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I don't know if it holds up. It is the kind of movie that Keanu Reeves is perfect for. Mm-hmm. Um. It may be Steve Martin's best movie. I, I'm not sure what else would be in the in the running for that. But I was a big fan of Parenthood, and uh, there's a lot of other f- forgettable movies on his filmography. But what yeah, about I'm, you? I, uh, Parenthood was the one that I was going to go to. I think it's because because um, one thing that Ron Howard, like if you look at his films, one thing that he's not lacking for is like star power. Hmm. he'll get a lot of ensemble cast with a lot of star power. And, and I think one of the things we've talked about is that he's got a safe floor, but maybe not a super high ceiling. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, 
and he's and he's taken on some pretty big films right like some some large you know like like what we've got like the da vinci codes mm. and we've got yeah that was uh, a blockbuster apollo, for sure apollo 13 backdraft well, uh, solo that's so that isn't, isn't, Will, isn't willow a ron howard joint <laughs> willow's on the list and so so these are like big things but they never seem to quite achieve as big, like and i think apollo 13 is and, and parenthood are kind of similar in a sense i right? think like, a lot of people would probably point to a, apollo 13 for sure but again apollo 13 feels very solid right mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like i mean and, and it did create some drama but i don't get i don't get a real like when you look at the cast you look at the, the subject matter and it's like it feels pretty pretty straightforward right parenthood does i think what he and, and maybe it's because of, of the framework because it's dealing with like family dynamics mm. i feel like it exceeds what this movie should have or could have been so it's one of those ones where i think he overachieves in terms of he takes this big cast and makes it all work and i think it's and it becomes bigger than i think just what it could have been right like it could have mm-hmm. felt like oh this could have, you know and they made a like show out of this or whatever but i think i think parenthood is his highest ceiling given the content and he puts tom hulse back into our uh <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of in in, in our, our viewpoint which is interesting i mean tom holst goes from amadeus and then like I, i'm assuming the parenthood and then um and then he's out i mean i'm i'm assuming tom holst did he more things he won but... an oscar for amadeus i think did he I not i don't think he won oh, i no. think he was nominated okay, he might have been nominated but amadeus won a number of oscars well amadeus was yeah it was an oscar darling so that guy the world was his oyster and all of a sudden he Maybe maybe Ron Howard put like the cocoon Ron curse Howard. on him. <laughs> Ron Howard, yeah, the curse of Ron Howard. He went into outer space with the cocoon, <laughs> old folks. Uh, I remember. Uh, I, I will say that I quote uh, one of his movies a lot, um, and that's uh, Ransom. <laughs> I've never seen Ransom. And the only quote is is that I do, and it and it's usually apropos of nothing, um, is when Mel Gibson is screaming in the phone, "Give me back my son!" And so, <laughs> so it's not uncommon to just hear me like in like maybe it's it's in a video game that I'm playing and I'm uh, shouting at the screen, or or if I'm having an issue with like yard work or trying to lift something heavy, I will shout out, "Give me back my son!" and that sort of just you just channels. randomly yell things that Mel Gibson has yelled throughout the years. Mm, well, I, there's a limit. <laughs> there's a boundary to 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 how much Mel Gibson I will channel. That's probably good. Yeah, that's probably good. Uh, is Parenthood your favorite Ron Howard film? I think if I was gonna rewatch a film, it'd be between that and Frost Nixon. Although I do want to rewatch Cocoon with you on Cocoon's Horror. Yeah, that would make sense. When's the last time you've seen Cocoon? It's probably been twenty years. It came out in '85. Did you watch it? Like, I don't after think I that? watched it in the theater, so I must have watched it at, at some point okay. after that. And I think it was probably in the late '90s, early aughts. Really? Yeah. See, I, there's no way I watched this thing past like a late '80s. It had to be like on a VHS, and I wasn't like rushing to go see Cocoon again. <laughs> oh no! Oh no. <laughs> 
I thought that that movie would be for a guy who was a big fan of the Golden Girls. I thought this would be right up your alley. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, maybe we need to go on a, like a, a Gutenberg journey. <laughs> what what happened to Gutenberg? He was oh. he was hot stuff for a while. <laughs> He had a little stint on uh, the show Veronica Mars for a while. All right. Um, and uh, he showed up on the series Party Down as himself. That's actually a very great episode where they're... I've never seen Party Down. I've heard it's good. I'm a fan. Here's what I'd like to do, Steve. So St. Louis Al wrote a nice review for us on iTunes. Al, if you email me at cocoonsahorror at gmail.com, with a mailing address, I'm just going to send you something. I don't know. It might be like <laughs> a, a signed book that I've written, or it might be, you know, a used copy of Camus the Stranger or a, a Def Leppard sticker. Or, I don't know what it is. I, I can't promise what it is, but I'd like to send you a little something in gratitude for such a nice review. So you're setting a dangerous precedent there, Lodon. You know what? I can decide whether or not I re- read these reviews. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's fair. People don't have to write reviews. So I'd like to make it a little fun. Yeah, and it's also nice to see somebody go out of their way to write a, a positive review. Yelp has definitely taught us that. Um, I mean, one of my favorites said, like, my wife has her own business. And, like, so some of the Yelps will be, um, she's not taking new clients two stars. Like, that's a very odd, like... They're upset because they're not in. They can't. So, so they're not critiquing the service. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're critiquing the fact that that um, she's full. She doesn't have any more opportunities. Didn't give her one star for it. Gave her two stars. Like almost like the extra star was for like. Well, I mean, good on her that she's got enough clients to keep busy. And I think that that could be a. I mean, that suggests that she's a pretty great groomer. I mean. Yeah, if she's not, if says... she's she's maxed out with clients, and people are pretty happy with what she does. So I think that could be construed as a pretty positive review. Is she not taking new clients? She's all full. She's all full. All right, because I was gonna <laughs> allow you to give a little plug for Heather's grooming business, but doesn't seem like you need it. No, and given that our reach is like like St. Louis Al, for example, that's a look. A I don't know commute. where St. Louis Al lives, or whether he can ship his dogs. <laughs> can you fax your Pomeranian to the Barkside Grooming? Cocoons of Horror at gmail dot com, and if you write an Apple review, you might get something in the mail from me. <laughs> You, you, Anthony's going to go through his box for Goodwill, and I might send you show a up something. at your house. It might, it might, it might be, it might be my Pomeranian. Cocoons of horror, where it's white elephant exchange all year long. <laughs>
moon of horror.